We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The folks who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make this show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to ListenerQ, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q.com forward slash pull up and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered in a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash pull up. That's ListenerQ.com slash pull up. I think it's inappropriate to question someone's character when you haven't been around them and you don't know them and you're not on that team. Only the players on that team know what type of person he truly is and his family and uh, the coaching staff. So I think before people jump to conclusions, they should get to understand him and, and know him. The Western Conference has multiple stars on each team. Multiple stars, two, three. Right. And you've seen how LeBron factors against those guys. He still averages a triple-double with 30 points. It's just more about the supporting cast at that point when you get to the NBA championship. It's about the supporting cast and who steps up. One of the underrated things about this series is James Harden defensively. You know, what is he going to do defensively in this series? What type of effort is he going to put in? And how will he exploit mismatchups on both ends? Welcome to the sixth episode of Pull Up. I uh, appreciate all our dedicated listeners out there tuning in every Wednesday. Uh, we usually record on Tuesdays and try to touch on the NBA, try to touch on current events, topics that are going on right now. Uh, speaking of things that are going on right now, I'm actually in Bristol, Connecticut. Um, one of the most interesting places in America, I will phrase it like that. Uh, enjoying some time with ESPN, just trying to sharpen up my tools and expand my resume. As a journalism major from Lehigh University, I try to uh, get some experience every summer you know, during the rest and recovery period of going on ESPN, going on Fox Sports, going on different media outlets, and just continue to try to uh, promote the, the game of basketball and promote the, the fact that a lot of professional athletes out there can be good at multiple things, especially when they have experience. And I think I've done a pretty good job as I continue to go through my career on and off the court. Um, I was asked about some of the things I do in the summertime, you know, based on the scheduling, based on the fact that uh, we were eliminated from the playoffs and I'm not in season and how long of a break I take. Uh, As of Tuesday, uh, we're 17 days removed from being swept by the Pelicans. For all of those out there who continue to remind me that we were swept, it's 17 days uh, removed, and I actually got got some light stuff in the weight room yesterday, some core work, some back, some hip, and I'm going to do some ankle and, and uh, hip mobility throughout the week as I continue to uh, rest and try to stay off the court. I think it's important that we take care of our bodies, and uh, I want to tighten up my core for the beach. As Charles Barkley would say, Cabo's a, a very, very place people frequent as players in the NBA who get eliminated from the playoffs, and I want to let him know that a lot of players travel to places outside of Cabo, like Europe. Miami, LA, things of that nature. And I happen to be a guy who enjoys Europe and travels to Turkey very, very, very often. And being in New York City, you know, throughout most of the summer, spending some time with my girl and relaxing, uh, there's been a lot of talk about the Met Gala. And for those of you out there that aren't familiar with the, Net, with the Met Gala, I'm going to read you the uh, definition of it uh, from Wikipedia, actually, <laughs> because I was interested in some of the outfits that I've seen. The Met Gala, formerly called the Costume Institute Gala and also known as the Met Ball, is an annual fundraising gala for the benefit of the uh, Museum of Arts uh, Costume Institute in New York City. Basically, there were some very, very interesting outfits, and without further ado, I'm going to bring in Jordan. But first, I have to talk about Rihanna, who was dressed 
uh, I don't know, like the Pope. Her outfit was very, very, very aggressive, and I liked it. Jordan, did, did you have a favorite outfit from the Met Gala? Well, LVP is Tom Brady, man. I don't know what he was thinking with that. Now, it's Tom Brady. He's kind of earned the right to wear what he wants. But, man, that was a low – I didn't get that at all. I liked a little bit off uh, – maybe he didn't get the same buzz, but I liked Michael B. Jordan's outfit. I thought he looked right. great right. and uh, wearing a pinstripe suit, sharp, classic, no tie. He, he, he looks great. And uh, you know Donald Glover was different, but he's always he's always cool, man. And I think he was wearing some Gucci, and uh, he made it look great. Yeah, I think there was a lot of very interesting outfits. Obviously, the usuals slayed the carpet. Diddy and Cassie, uh, Kylie and Travis, Gigi uh, had a dope dope outfit. And for those of you that aren't familiar, Virgil, who uh, was the uh, inventor of Off White, who has recently partnered with Louis Vuitton, uh, styled himself along with uh, Kendall Jenner, and they rocked uh, some new Off White. Uh, gear that that will be released in the near future and there was a sleeper sleeper out there uh, two chains actually proposed in the red carpet on the walk he did <laughs> into the Met Gala which was interesting because a lot of people already thought he was married so I thought that was uh, a very very that was that was nice yeah it was nice it's a bright spot something everyone will remember and uh that is our Met Gala recap wait hold on did you see Jared Leto <laughs> did you see what Jared Leto was wearing CJ no I didn't what did he have on that was the worst. That actually made Tom Brady look great. I mean, listen, they, I don't know who designed it or who told them to wear what he wore, but I can't even describe. If you have not seen Jared Leto's outfit, I know he's like a character actor dude, and you know he's he's always into. But this was even for him. This was quite strange. I'll have to Google it. I'll have to Google it. One of the things I did notice before we move on to the NBA basketball and rumors and child, uh, childish Gambino. Blake Lively's dress had over $2 million worth of jewelry on it, and it's reported that it took over 600 hours to make it, which is insane. Wow. It's insane, but I love that Blake Lively, crazy. so it's okay. And I've always been a fan of Gossip Girl, so I had to put that out there, that Blake, Blake Lively was one of the, <laughs> the best dressed uh, on the red carpet, for sure, 100%. Yeah, she looked great. She always looks good, though. I mean, She, she, she normally slays, and... Uh, I just felt like the world should know that uh, the Met Gala was popping in New York, and since we're all on the East Coast, uh, it's only right that we mention it. One day, we will attend the Met Gala. Um, hopefully, I'm in a position where I'm playing in the playoffs so that I can attend for years to come. But in the, in the event that it doesn't happen, one day, I will attend the Met Gala and wear something very calm and blend, blend in. Speaking of blending in... <laughs> There's a sketch by Childish Gambino about the cast players, which we'll get into in a bit. But there's been a question posed uh, by a lot of fans, a lot of uh, sports reporters and journalists around the country on whether or not LeBron is playing the best basketball of his career. Uh, I think that the Miami years are by, fi by far the best years of his career. But you know, with his clutch performance in this playoff uh, season and his ability to uh, manipulate a game, I think you could argue uh, his postseason run, the fact that he's played 82 games uh, this season, plus, I don't know, what it's reported 94, 93 straight games for LeBron. Do you think this is the, the best ball he's played in his career? And um, if not, do you think the Miami years have surpassed his uh, efforts so far? I would say that right now he's playing his best because of the fact that they don't have the same personnel um, that they've had, that he had in Miami. I mean, you know, when he was there – you had a younger D Wade. You had Chris Bosh, 
right now he's getting Kevin Love finally contributing and some of these ancillary pieces that we've talked about, J.R. Smith, um, Tristan Thompson, CJ, they've been better. But I, I just think the way he's carried them and the fact that they completely manhandled a Toronto team that was the number one seed in the East, 159 games. I mean, he goes for 29, 38, 43 and he's doing it in so many different ways. And the fact that he's added this post-up game now, which he's always had at least the past several years, but he's expanded now with that fadeaway, which we've talked about. And it's just remarkable, the space he's creating and how consistent it's been. Uh, and I think I read a stat this week that he had more uh, playoff game winners in a week uh, than pretty much every Hall of Famer. I mean, <laughs> it's remarkable how clutch he's been. And that was the big knock on him. For so long, like he's not a clutch player, and it was crazy. So for me, I'm going to say right now at 33, he is playing his best ball. Yeah, I think you proposed some some great stats and some great facts based on you know the success he's having, the load he's having to carry. You could argue this is the most work he's had to do since the early Cavalier days when they uh, end up losing to Detroit. I can't remember what year that was, but the early LeBron days. Someone tweeted. Actually, Tom Haberstro tweeted, in the series, LeBron shot 17% from three, 58% from the free throw line. Rodney Hood was one for nine from field goal. Refused to come off the bench, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, Jordan Clarkson averaged five points per game on 29% field goal uh, percentage. And Larry Nance Jr. played eight minutes total. They swept the Warriors. So it shows you that he didn't have a lot of help. Kevin Love was great. He was fantastic. He played like an all-star. J.R. Smith uh was hot as ever and has continued to step up as the games have gotten more intense and as the pressure has, uh, as the pressure has increased. J.R. Smith has played better, so those two have been great. George Hill has has been phenomenal in that last game. He was aggressive. He was locked in, and uh, you had a lot of players contributing. Tristan Thompson in the previous series was great and ended up saving that series against the Pacers. But uh, looking at this roster. Um, LeBron has to do a lot. You know, he's forced to he's forced to control the ball. He's forced to operate the offense at times, which he's been comfortable with in the past. But the difference in this year's team and, and past teams is that LeBron has been able to rest a little bit more on defense. They figured out, you know, how important his offense is and have figured out ways to hide him on certain players to allow him to roam, be a roamer, go get steals, be active when he needs to be, be a designated helper, and. Uh, this will be great for him in this series and potentially in the Boston Celtics series, but I'm not sure who he'll be able to guard in that war series while resting uh, because they're always so active on the defensive end. You know, they're always moving and cutting, and it's a different brand of basketball, you know, out there with the Golden State yeah. Warriors. How about how about this for we? You know, I I, I never love to go crazy with stats, but anytime you compare uh, LeBron James to a player, Michael Jordan inevitably comes up. Right. In the in the last final five seconds of fourth quarter and overtime, this is in the playoffs. Michael Jordan is five of eleven. LeBron is seven of fifteen. He has five buzzer beaters compared to MJ's three. Now, again, obviously, a lot of the situations, and you know, I, I just think, can we just put a put down the argument that LeBron is better or not as good as Michael Jordan? Just put that aside for a second and just recognize that right now, in this moment, we are witnessing historical greatness, not once in a generation, but once in a lifetime, CJ. And you're fortunate enough on the on an entirely different level to go up and play against and see it up close. But I just think as fans, even you as a fan now, like can we just enjoy it and not always have to draw a comparison, but just appreciate what we're seeing because it is sensational. Yeah, I think we have to do a better job of appreciating greatness and not just 
we think we're able to see, but going back and reading statistics and being able to experience history and live through history, I think is very, very important as a guy who's in the NBA playing against a lot of these guys. And uh, to think I had, I had opportunity to play against Kobe Bryant, who's one of the best shooting guards ever. Uh, you could argue he's top 10 of all time. You could argue he's top five. Just depends on who you ask. Had a chance to play against LeBron James, be from the same you know area as him growing up in Northeast Ohio and see his development and the way he's continued to evolve, not only from a on-court standpoint, but from you know being a, being a father, being a husband, being an ambassador for the community. And then you know, being able to play in an era where Jordan is in a management position for for a team in the NBA. So I've been able to essentially live through Michael Jordan, obviously, you know, being born in 91. Uh, I, I didn't see much, but I was able to, you know, physically be alive. Kobe and Braun, who are three of the best players ever and are on a lot of Mount Rushmore. So I think that's, we have to take, you know, some time to really understand what we're witnessing, you know, with, with LeBron, with Kobe, with Jordan. A lot of times we just want to compare things instead of just appreciating their actual greatness. And I would even, I would even add Tim Duncan respectfully to that list. Right. You could add Tim Duncan to it. There's a lot of players who have impacted the game. Dirk Nowinski with his great run, you know, 20 plus years, same organization winning, uh, uh, NBA championship and playing at an MVP caliber level for so long and revolutionizing the game and giving players like Luka Doncic a chance to be considered a number one overall pick uh, in a draft, uh, giving chances to Kristaps Porzingis because of how successful he was. That opens the door uh, for the next guy. But I think it's it's important that we do that. And a lot of times we don't. And a lot of times there's false narratives out there. And I think one of the things I wanted to address was a question from uh, Pinwheel Empire um, two weeks ago. I told you I would answer this question. So if you're listening to the podcast, which I hope you are, I'm answering your question now. You asked um, on the topic of honesty, what do you think of journalists or people uh, promoting false narratives or clickbait? And uh, that seems to have been the case, you know, in, in previous situations. Obviously, there's rumors that uh, Fizdale essentially told Marcus all that I'd rather have LeBron and you'd rather have Popovich. And then uh, it, it was a rumor. And then the, the truth always comes to light, as we say. And Nick Van Exel came out and said that he was in the locker room. And that's that's not true at all. And that Fizz would never, you know, tell one of his current players that he wishes he had another player. So there's all these false narratives for clicks. There's the rumor that, you know, happened uh, actually earlier today uh, with the Rodney Hood situation. And uh, him refusing to go in the game, and then there there being rumors that he was going to be suspended. Another false narrative of clicks. I think it's just important that as an NBA player, as a fan of the game, uh, we're not baited into things. I understand we, we need to get clicks and certain outlets need to get clicks, but to create false narratives and to, to make predictions and and have opinions on people's character, you know, threatening to punch people in the face or, you know, kind of trying to tarnish people's names. I think it's unacceptable and people should be held accountable for it in a sense that um, you shouldn't be allowed to to say certain things that not be true and nothing happened. I think people should be punished for certain actions. They should be held accountable just the same way we are. When we do things or say things that are out of line, we get fined. Uh, we potentially have punishments for certain issues. So that would be my response to that. And, and while we're on the topic of uh, Rodney Hood, uh, Jordan, uh, just kind of give me your thoughts on the situation, what's happened, and then I'll tell you what it's like from from my perspective as a player in the league who's been in the position to have to go in at garbage time has, has also seen players have a choice on whether they want to go in at the end of the game or not. Yeah, I think when you start to push a narrative, a false narrative as a journalist, that is a very slippery slope. It's It's unethical, and you have responsibility not just to yourself but to your readers – 
and to people that are going to see this, that you have to do things the right way. That That, that is, and, and this is really with anything in, in life, but as a journalist, like doing things the right way and not succumbing to that quick, easy score. Like the, the, these are things that you should practice from the beginning and just continue to build on because if you if you want like a quick um you know i'm gonna i'm gonna screw somebody over to get a clickbait like that's even if you get like a big response that's not ultimately how you're going to win in anything uh not just sports journalism because you got to play the long game here and you got to do things the right way with integrity and then good things will happen and the truth always comes out um to your point and and you know, I, I just, I, as a journalist, it's really disappointing for me when I see things that uh, aren't done the right way because, um, you know, that it gives journalism a bad name, whether it's sports or anything else. And CJ, I think for you, you're in the unique position where as a journalism major and as a star basketball player, you can actually really have a voice. I don't know if anybody listened to me, but people listen to you because you're a player and you know how damaging it can be. Um, so I just think do things the right way and, and good things will happen, not just for you, but for people around you. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think, you know, having known Rodney Hood for a few years and played against him, he's always, you know, mild mannered. He's real calm, laid back and seemed to be a team guy. So when I first seen the uh, the articles about it, you know, I, I kind of wondered, you know, how much truth there was to it and then thought about the situation. Um, he was traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Obviously, things haven't gone the way he's liked up to this point, and you know, he's kind of struggled from the playoffs uh, historically and this season. I'm going to read you his stats just quickly to kind of give you an understanding of how he's played. In his last four playoff games, zero points, 0 for 2 from the field, 10 minutes. Zero points, 0 for 2, 12 minutes. Two points, 1 for 5, 16 minutes. Zero points, 0 for 0, 7 minutes. His last two playoff games in Utah, two points, one for five from the field, 14 minutes, three points, one for eight from the field, 32 minutes. You get the point. He struggled. He's not making shots. He hasn't been extremely aggressive and is you know, kind of trying to find himself. So then when there's an article like this that comes out, you start to question his character. And I think it's inappropriate to question someone's character when you haven't been around him and you don't know him and you're not on that team. Only the players on that team know what type of person he truly is and his family and uh, the coaching staff. So I think before people jump to conclusions, they should get to understand him and, and know him and figure out, you know, what what exactly happened at the end of that game. I think it was 7.30, 7.40 left in the game, and the the rumor was that he was asked to go in for LeBron James and told them to, to let the other guys play, uh, which in this case, Ty Lue said he had no problem with it, and, you know, they're moving forward on it. So I think it's, it's interesting. I'm not on that team, so I don't know what's going on, but I just think that sometimes things are blown out of, out of proportion. And I've been on teams. I've been on teams to where – guys have you know either said hey you can play the young guys it's okay and coach has been cool with it and I've even had coaches ask the players do you want to go in or not type of situation so a lot of times players players have a choice depending on how old they are how long they've been in the league and right you you earn equity as a player you earn that equity exactly exactly so I think fans have to understand that there's a lot of things that go into that we've got more pull up in a second but first I want to talk to you about travel Portland I'm lucky enough to spend the majority of the year in Portland, and even though I'm a little biased, I think it's one of the best places in the country for people to visit. To start with, if you like wine the way I do, Willamette Valley boasts some of the most delicious Pinot Noirs around, and it's only 45 minutes outside of the city. Also, summer in Portland is amazing. You can hit Portland's Forest Park for a hike, bike ride, or run. It's one of the largest urban forests in the United States, and if you're looking for even more of an adventure, 
windsurfing, kayaking, bike riding, Mount Hood and the Columbia River Gorge, and the coast are all reachable within a couple of hours. Jordan, what do you like to do in Portland? Well, we've talked about the biking. I am a big, big fan of the Columbia River Gorge. Absolutely beautiful place. You can go skiing in Mount Bachelor. That's another big win. And uh, as we've talked about, CJ, the Willamette Valley is world class. <laughs> Man, we're going to have to go uh, to one of these wineries these days, and I can make up for that ottoman I ruined of yours. But good stuff, man. <laughs> and for the foodies out there, Portland has great farm-to-table eateries and food carts. So if you want to get away and check out a spot I love, visit TravelPortland.com to start planning your trip. You can in Portland. Now, turning the page a little bit and... You know, talking about some somebody who has earned equity, you know, he's had a lot of uh, thought-provoking, you know, TV show episodes, you know, with Atlanta, you know, great videos. Uh, recently was the host of uh, Saturday Night Live and did a tremendous job. His uh, YouTube video um, that he released, his uh, official music video, This Is America, has, has over 20 million views and it just happened a few days ago. I think... Um, I, it's only right that I briefly talk about this um, and Childish Gambino, for those of you that don't know who he is. Uh, I'm a big fan of Childish Gambino. I think he's very thought-provoking. He's very uh, driven. He's aware, uh, as the as the people would say. He's he's extremely woke. He understands what's going on, not only uh, in, the, in the black communities, but uh, in society in general and in the world in general. And, you know, based on his music video, I thought it was excellent. I thought it showed his creativity. Uh, he touched on gun violence. He touched on racism. He touched on the importance of uh, free speech and expression. Uh, there was a civil rights movement and symbolism involved. Um, just basically, I did some research. Uh, I, I Googled the video. I watched it about six times. I read articles about the video and how they kind of broke things down. And uh, actually, I want to read this uh, to the listeners out there. Uh, there was a professor uh, by the name of uh, Guthrie Ramsey uh, from the University of Pennsylvania, a uh, music history uh, professor. Uh, they stated that Childish Gambino's decision to wear just a pair of gray pants without a shirt in the video allows viewers to identify with his humanness as he raps about the violent contradictions that come with being a black man in America. So he was able to touch on so many things while basically showing viewers that, hey, no, this could happen to any one of us. You know, what I mean, based on the, some of the things that he did uh, throughout the music video where, where they, he had the AR and he shot uh, the choir, which re, which was reminiscent of the uh, fatal shooting uh, we faced um, some years ago uh, by a gunman who, who walked into church and uh, gunned down some people. But I think one of the most undercover important parts of his music video was the fact that you had to watch it a few times to really understand that there was a, there was actually a white horse kind of following him uh, throughout the entire music video. And there's a lot of explanations and, and people trying to pick apart what it meant. But I want to point this out because this is one of my favorite parts um, to the whole video. Um, it's basically could come from an excerpt in the Bible. I think it's uh, Revelation 6.8. And Revelation 6.8 states that, And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and Hell followed with him. So basically, throughout the video, he has the horse following him, uh, which could, which could be interpreted in a lot of different ways. That that violence follows us, that temptation follows us, that uh, there's a lot of things that uh, could potentially bring us down uh, on our walk to greatness. Yeah, CJ, that is so. Like, I don't even know how to respond because that was so <laughs> well articulated. Uh, I've seen the video six times. I'm still. I'm probably gonna watch it another three times, 
just because it is so impactful. There was a great column in the Atlantic today following up on the video, what it means, um, what we can take from it. What was really cool about the article, it talks about specifically the school kids' performances and how they had at least 10 different popular dances um, from around the world, including Africa, uh, South Africa. I just think it is so unbelievably cool what Childish Gambino, Donald Glover, has done with this video. And, and everything he does seems to have meaning beyond just music. And um, he's a special talent. You mentioned Atlanta. He can act. He can sing. Uh, it's just he's a really, really special talent. Yeah, I, I think you hit it right on the head too, man. His ability to to kind of move people, you know, us coming from two different backgrounds, still kind of seen different things in the video, but had an understanding of what he was trying to say based on, you know, the the dances, the the fact that he cited work from other popular rappers, you know, uh, Young Thug, Quavo, Twenty One Savage. SZA was actually uh, sitting on one of the cars in the music video, and people interpreted that as all those rappers and and people he kind of shouted out with the with the uh, blocka, with the uh, shoot dance that he did throughout the video. Some people interpreted it as the fact that we're very impressionable and trends pick up and go, and then some others interpreted it as with his fourth album looming, those are some of the people that were going to be on his upcoming album. So he's just he's just literally a, a genius in a sense that he's able to kind of manipulate the mind and. And provide forward thinking. Yeah, he is. He is. I, I um I think this is a video that's gonna live on a long time, you know? Like it's not it, it'll be relevant for a long time. It'll it, beyond just the song. You know what I mean? Right, right. But I'm I'm glad we we're able to talk about Donald Glover. Would love to get him on the podcast at some point. So for those of you out there that are listening and are fans of him, uh please, please tweet at us and give us your thoughts and your feedback on the video. I thought it was great, very inspirational and you know propose us to think, to think about America, to think about guns, violence, to think about racism, some of the things we face on a day-to-day basis and how it impacts our lives as we try to push forward. But speaking of people who will never be forgotten or will live a long time uh, in terms of their legacy, a lot of players in the Rockets have this going for them, future Hall of Famers. A lot of players in the Warriors. There's a potential matchup looming uh, in the Western Conference uh, Championship. I've played against both teams. I've guarded a lot of players on both teams and have some interesting perspective on what I think might happen in this series with the Rockets having home court advantage based on the success they had in the uh, in the regular season. My first question to you, Jordan, is who wins the individual matchup between the guards? Chris Paul, James Harden, Klay Thompson, and Steph Curry. I have a, a pretty good idea of how I think it's going to play out, but I want to know your thoughts. And then you know, looking looking forward to the future, there's a lot of free agents looming. There's a lot of things that could potentially happen with this series. You know, obviously the Warriors win. They think about keeping the team together. And if they lose, with the amount of money they'd have to spend to, to keep everybody on the roster, uh, this, this playoff series will have a lot of implications and impact on the future of not only the Warriors but the rest of the NBA. I think Curry and, and Clay win the matchup. Part of a big reason why is I, I don't think that Houston's going to have the same success that they had against Utah, against the Warriors, in terms of what what the Rockets did so well against the Jazz was they neutralized and completely mitigated Rudy Gobert. So, you know, all this pick-and-roll action, it doesn't work to, the, to this type of level if you don't have all these shooters to spread the floor and create that switch. Right. So Gobert ends up on the perimeter, 
not only is he not a shot blocker anymore, but he's he doesn't have the lateral quickness to stay in front of all these guards. And so with the Warriors, they just go small, put Draymond at the five, or even KD at the five, you know, this kind of death lineup again. And then they have an opportunity. Now they can switch essentially everything, and they don't have to worry about being exposed on the perimeter. And so if I'm if I'm the Warriors, um, I feel good about this series from a matchup standpoint because I know my guards are going to consistently find ways to make Paul and Harden uncomfortable. This is not to say that CP and and Harden won't have success because they will. They're they're fantastic players. I just don't. I, I just think what Houston does so well with the pick and roll and creating mismatches in the half court that won't happen to the same level. And then taking it a step further, if I'm the Rockets. I, I do what I think most teams are scared of, which is I play right back at Golden State because I don't think Houston is going to be able to beat them in the half court. And I think the only way that the Rockets can win this series and beat them four times in seven games is if they play right back at the Warriors and try to out-tempo them and get hot. Because otherwise, to me, if you slow it down, which is what a lot of teams do against Golden State, now you're vulnerable because Golden State can really play that game. Houston has played that game well this year, but the Warriors are better at it. Yeah, I would agree with you that the Warriors are elite in terms of playing Warrior basketball. Running guns, shoot threes, you know, get out, take quick shots, and still be able to maintain composure down the stretch, execute a half-court offense when they need to, and defend at a high level. As you said before, putting putting KD at the five or the four, having that deaf lineup, or as they coined it the other day, the Hampton five uh, lineup is, is going to be essential to their success. They went to it early. Uh, in the last series after losing uh, a game to the Pelicans and, and felt like, you know, they wanted to make a statement. And I think they did make a statement early on and is that they're hard to guard when they have their best five players out there, as Steve Kerr said. They're able to defend. They have that camaraderie. They have that experience. They have the right amount of length and athleticism to switch and the right amount of length and athleticism to have anybody initiate the offense. So I think that makes them very, very dangerous. But at the same time, looking at that Rockets team, it's new and improved. They bring in P.J. Tucker. They bring in Mbamute. They got uh, Trevor Ariza. They have Eric Gordon. They have a lot of wings, a lot of length to where they could essentially match up uh, with that Hampton Five, as they like to call it, because of their experience, their tenacity. P.J. Tucker was crucial. Although it was regular season games, he provided second chance opportunities. He got loose balls. He, he defended. He boxed out. He was able to do some things in there, banging with Draymond and taking some of the pressure uh, off of yeah. Capella, taking some of the pressure off of the other wings out there because of his versatility. And let's not forget, he can knock down a corner three. So I think this series is going to be more interesting than people think. You know, with, with James' ability to control the game, as you said before, you think they need to run. I think they need to run in spurts. Choose wisely, as uh, J. Cole says on his last album. You have to choose wisely because this is a game to where execution is important, possession is important, time of possession, being able to get to the free throw line. These are all things that both teams are good at. But with James Harden having the ball, being able to kind of pick apart the defense, figuring out which matchups they want. That's all they do the entire game. They don't run plays. They figure out an, a matchup that they like best, and they exploit it over and over and over again. So look for James to try to get Steph Curry in pick and rolls. Look for him to try to get Draymond in pick and rolls. At times, although Draymond, Draymond's a great defender, if they can get him in foul trouble and off the court, it changes the entire dynamic of their team. And I'm sure Chris 
CP is looking at that team and trying to figure out ways to exploit them, ways to to kind of you know stick a fork in them and uh, weaken them because Draymond is the heart and soul of that team defensively because he can guard one through five. KD can guard one through five, but I don't know if there's anybody else in that roster besides Iguodala and Clay who can who can you know guard Capella and still guard CP and James. Yeah, you know Draymond, he's. He's so important for them on both sides of the floor. I think, you know, there's no surprise there. But with what I, the reason I bring that up is because Houston tries and will try to deploy Tucker to do some of the same things. But but Tucker doesn't have he he's he doesn't have the lateral quickness as Green and the length to be able to block shots at that level. As one coach told me uh, this year, Tucker's really good in a box defensively. But if you get him in space. He's not as good, and Green can do that, and that's why he's able to guard all five positions. I think Eric Gordon, to me, for the Rockets, is the one guy that can change this series um, for Houston. He's, he's really struggled shooting in the playoffs, just 35% and 32 from three. Points are way down. I think you need to get him in pick and roll, and don't just make him a shooter. Uh, because he's a guy that can play make, right, CJ? I mean, he's, he's, he's a versatile player. When, he, when he's right... Eric Gordon is a big difference maker for Houston and not just a spot-up three-point shooter. And he, he, can, he can win them a game in this series, and I think he can be a big, big key for them. Yeah, I think he can definitely win them a game, and he will be a big key going forward. His success and or failure will dictate you know, how well the Rockets play. But they've shown that they can still win games without him performing well. As, as you've seen from the numbers, he's not shooting well from the field, and they're still uh, able to win games. Uh, they're able to spread the floor and stretch the floor because of his shooting credibility. Historically, he's been a great shooter. He won the three-point contest uh, two years ago and has had a knack for scoring and creating baskets. But the problem with getting pick and rolls against the Warriors is that they switch everything. So uh, with them switching everything, you just have to find the right matchup and be able to break your man down one-on-one, which Eric Gordon is capable of. He's a good one-on-one player. He's able to change directions. He's strong of build and can pass in pick and roll. So you know, that'll be interesting to see how much he plays in that series and how they utilize him if they play him more with the second unit, if they let him get some run with the starters, uh, because matchups are going to be crucial. Trying to find the right matchups at the right times because you know at the end of the day that third quarter run is coming with the Warriors and uh, you have a chance to set the tone with having home court advantage. You can get games one, get games two, and potentially really, really, really make a statement. Uh, early on in that Western Conference Finals, uh, in that potential yeah. Western Conference Finals matchup yeah. that that's looming for us right now. I I just I, for one, I hope for Mike D'Antoni's sake. Like I, I just wish people we talk about appreciating the moment, living in the moment. I think he's an innovator, and I I, I you know I, we see this word thrown out a lot. We hear it the word genius. I mean, he's what he's done, the way he's kind of revolutionized this pace in space era of basketball. I mean, he was the guy that really did it with Phoenix. And for him to win a championship or have an opportunity to win a championship, I think would be good for the league. Um, I also think this, CJ, that I don't know if Houston can play small. The, the, the Warriors are great at having these versatile lineups where they can switch everything to your point and make you uncomfortable on both ends. I don't know if Houston can do that. A big part of what they've done has been playing big with Capella at the five. Yeah, I think I'm going to disagree. I think Houston can do it because okay. I, I've watched them. I've seen uh, Capella guard guards. Cap- Capella has done a terrific job in the Utah Jazz series of sitting down 
on Donovan Mitchell. He sat down on Joe Ingles and was able to essentially force him to pass the ball on multiple occasions. Joe Ingles was able to get a layup down the stretch two games ago, but his length and his ability to kind of alter shots and he's able to guard you without guarding you, if you get what I'm saying. He's 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 arm right. length away. So the blow by isn't really available because he has he has the ability to recover at the at the rim and challenge your shot. And if you do decide to shoot it, you better get space because with that athleticism and length, he's able to contest, as we've seen in that Utah Jazz series with him protecting the rim not only against guards but against Gobert. Uh, he protected the rim against Donovan Mitchell. He protected the rim against uh, McNeil as well as Jay Crowder. So I think they trust him. The, the Warriors are going to be in for a rude awakening if they think that they can just uh, dipsy doodle dunk a rude down the lane. And uh, he's going to he's going to be able to contest things. He's going to be able to to get contest on Steph and Clay on switches. I'm not saying he's going to lock them down because obviously Steph's one on one ability is is elite and he's able to create space. And if he doesn't create space, his shot is so deadly, so quick, and so efficient that he's able to still get it off. So I think it'll be an interesting series. But I look for Houston to switch everything. They're going to switch off ball stuff. They're going to switch on ball stuff. And um, one of the underrated things about this series is that James Harden, defensively, you know, what what is he going to do defensively in this series? How is he going to – what type of effort is he going to put in? And, and how will he exploit mismatchups on both ends? So I think – that's something for us to look forward to uh, with a potential Western Conference uh, Finals matchup. We've got more pull-up for you, but let me talk about SeatGeek for a second. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I just went to Cedric the Entertainer in San Antonio. Uh, my dad's gotten tickets to Cleveland Cavalier games. I've had family you know, looking to go to Hamilton. There's a lot of things you can use SeatGeek for. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone and have found it's very easy to use. Just a few taps, it's very easy to get seats to anything you want. If there's a major sporting event in your city, like say the NBA playoffs, I recommend you check it out. I might use it to get tickets to a Browns game, a concert, another comedy show. Definitely might use it for the J. Cole concert. Jordan, what's the last live event you bought tickets to? I actually went to a Cubs game. It was in Chicago. Got great seats last minute. It was awesome, man. And like you said, very easy to use and uh, I'll be using it again. That's what's up, man. Uh, Cubs game. I'm surprised. Surprised. SeatGeek saves you time and money by showing you not only the cheapest tickets, but also the best values with their very handy seat map feature. You can get the best seat for whatever your budget is. Just give it a try. And best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code PULLUP, all one word, today. That's promo code PULLUP. All one word for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, we did a poll. Uh, we're checking out the results uh, throughout this poll. The poll basically talks about the Toronto Raptors. And obviously the Raptors have a very, very big fan in Drake. I think Drake is good for the Raptors because of his celebrity, his love for them, and how he genuinely seems to be disappointed, upset, and sad when things aren't going well for the Raptors. I think there's a lot of controversy with his fandom because of the fact that 
you know, he is friends with a lot of players in the league. He's friends with KD. I think he even has a KD tat on his body. He's friends with Braun, has been photographed wearing Braun's jersey. So there's a little bit of fandom in there because we're all fans of, of uh, the NBA. But his love and loyalty for the Raptors, I like it. I think it's similar to my love and loyalty to the Browns, and you ride or die with your team, and I think that's what he's done. But as, what do they call him, a, a global ambassador, a team ambassador? Yeah. When he's getting into it with Kendrick Perkins, <laughs> is that a good thing? Because that's when it starts to become questionable. I don't think him getting into Kendrick Perkins is a good thing, but I think that tippers just kind of flared a little bit. You can't really say certain things to certain guys in the league, and I think Perk is one of them. Perk don't take nothing. You know, he's not going to take no disrespect. He's not going to take no slights. He's not really even joking with you if he don't know you like that. So you can't come at certain players the wrong way or give them the wrong impression. I think Drake did both those things. He came at Perk the wrong way, gave him the wrong impression, and that's an OG that don't play games. So you can't really play games with certain people in this league and in this world in general because – things will not turn out in your favor. I think that's a battle or a fight that you want to avoid if you're Drake. And I think he, he did the right <laughs> thing by, you know, sitting quietly, you know, following that uh, that little uh, the little situation they had there. He, he sat quietly and moved But you forward. like Drake's – you like Drake front and center at the games, you know, yapping. You think in general it's a good thing? Yeah, I think it's a good thing because he's a fan. Uh, he represents that organization. He represents uh, Canada in general, you know, being from there. And uh, the Raptors have a great, they have great fan support. People all over the world like the Raptors. And there's a lot of controversy involving their team. You know, winning 59 games in a regular season season this year, franchise record. Rumors are beginning to squirrel again. Uh, obviously, there's rumors uh, about the coach and his job security, which seems to be a discussion after a team loses early in the playoffs every year is whether or not the coach's job is secure. But I think personally that, you know, they played extremely well in the regular season and they fell to a LeBron James led team and game one was pivotal. You know, having a chance to to get up one oh, you know, get over that mental hurdle of having lost to them two years in a row and being able to beat them in game one would have been would have been huge. Leading leading for forty set forty eight minutes. They led the entire regulation, end up dropping game one. And I think that's when everything just kind of started to spiral out of control. Well, the Cavs have won 10, 10 straight versus the Raptors um, in the playoffs. And there's clearly a an issue with Toronto from a mental standpoint getting over the hump against Cleveland. There's, there's no question about it. If I'm a Raptors fan, I'm incredibly disappointed because, A, this was supposed to be the year. Number one seed, home court, 59 wins. Team is healthy. There's a ton of depth. You're young. And yet, you get embarrassed, again, by LeBron. Everybody gets embarrassed by LeBron at some point. The issue for Toronto is it's now a trend. And taking it a step further, I don't know how much longer they can keep this together. I think maybe one more year. But my understanding is that, CJ, they have thought about it, blowing this thing up in the past, but they felt like they were so close that why, if you're on the cusp, of something really good or great, why would you risk blowing it up when when who knows what can happen? And, and I just think saying, hoping that Toronto, if you're a Raptors fan, just saying hoping we're gonna next year is gonna be different is just not realistic anymore. Clearly, they're not good enough. I guess I would ask you, <laughs> having played against them, what do they need? Is is this fixable with this roster as a whole, or is it worth saying let's? 
kind of start again from scratch? I think it is fixable. And looking at the polls, I think we have 1,200 votes in as of, I don't know, a few minutes ago. A lot of people think they should go into rebuild mode. But I think I think we're overreacting based on the fact that this just happened. It's fresh. There was so much hype, so much anticipation for the, for the uh, Raptors coming into the season. Uh, Lowry was playing well. DeRozan was having another all-star caliber year. He played well in the playoffs up to this point in, into the into the uh, potential matchup against the Cavs. And it was it was championship or bust a lot in a lot of their eyes. And I think the fact that the the expectations were so high and then they end up getting swept kind of leaves a bitter taste in a lot of people's mouths and will allow you to overreact. I think we can't forget the fact that they were built to be successful in the regular season. They had great bench play throughout the regular season. They were able to play a lot of different guys, 10, 11, 12 players in playoff games. Uh, they were healthy, Kyle Lowry, and then were, were healthy throughout the season. Their minutes were down. Their efficiency and productivity was up. Everything was going well. And then they and then they ran into LeBron James, dropped game one, dropped game two, had their backs against the wall. There was a controversy with uh, Casey benching DeMar in the fourth quarter, and I think that led to a lot of questions as to, how secure his position is within the franchise because of the fact that they got swept, because of the fact that he ended up not playing DeMar in the fourth quarter. And I think ultimately a question mark swirl, and it starts at the top. When things don't go right, I always say it, they go to the top of the food chain. They don't go to the bottom. They're not going to blame the, the bench players. They're going to blame the guys who are making the most money and the person who's directing things and, and coaching the team. So I think people are overreacting. I'm not sure what yeah. they I'm not sure what they need just yet because it's so fresh. It, it just happened. There's nobody they could add to the roster that can guard LeBron. So I don't I don't know how they're going to fix that problem because that's that's not happening. There's no one player that can guard him. You have to guard him as a team. And the problem with him is that he's such a versatile passer. You need to have multiple weapons. And uh, the Western Conference has multiple stars on each team. Multiple stars, two, three. And you've seen how LeBron factors against those guys. He still averages a triple-double with 30 points. It's just more about the supporting cast at that point when you get to the uh, NBA championship. It's about the supporting cast and who steps up. Well, I give them credit because what Toronto has done – to get to this point, to win 59 games this year is impressive because they, they changed their system. This used to be a team that played really, really slow. Um, in, in, in Dwayne Casey's first year, six years ago, they averaged 92 possessions a game, which was the third fewest in the league. Uh, now they're consistently uh, in the top 10 in possessions, and they're better on the, in the fast break game. And they've also done well in the draft. I mean, I think OG... Ananobi is a really good young player. We've talked about DeLon Wright. Um, you know, Pirtle's pretty good. I, I I just don't know if with these two players, Lowry and DeRozan, I don't know if ultimately they're going to win you a championship. I think the answer is no. Uh, but at the same time, DeRozan's a top 15 caliber guy, and, and Lowry's a very good point guard. So you have to wonder if even with this change in philosophy of style, if one of those guys is going to get dealt, because ultimately Toronto is now um, going to be surpassed, CJ, by uh, uh, Indiana, who's going to be better moving forward, uh, by Philadelphia, by Boston. All these teams are just getting started. It feels like Toronto is kind of on the tail end. Right. And I think one of the things fans have to ask themselves is it's an honest question. Is our team good enough to win a championship? Is that a realistic expectation for us? Because a lot of times there's unrealistic expectations from fans, from the organizations on their team. 
looking at a lot of teams that have won championships, the roster dynamic of it, the experience, uh, what seed they get, home court, who they get matched up with. A lot of things factor into success, and sometimes it's luck, sometimes it's skill, sometimes it's a combination of things, but you just have to be realistic with the expectations and think. Did did, right. they, did they honestly think the Raptors were going to win a championship? That's a question you can only answer as a fan or as an as an observer. Were they good enough? Did they have the talent? Were they deep enough? They had a lot of pieces, but realistically, if they got out the Eastern Conference, do you think they were good enough to beat a Western Conference team in seven games? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. But I'm saying, from as a as a fan, as a peer, as a guy who plays in a league, a lot of times we have unrealistic expectations of our teams, the teams that we like. We're not realistic. And I say this every year as a Browns fan, I try to be as realistic as possible. This year I said I think it's very possible for us to win between four and six games. I'm not going to jump out of a window if we win two games, and I'm not going to overreact if, if things don't go that way because I know the roster, I know the team, I know our history, and I think it takes time to, to build things up. You look at the Boston Celtics. Uh, they've, they've surpassed the process of rebuild. They've made great trades. They've got they've made good decisions in drafts. You know, they hit the they hit the lottery at times and sometimes they failed, but players have played so well and they've been able to continue to gain assets that we haven't really noticed certain draft picks that have gone first round and haven't performed well. But when you don't play well as a team and your draft picks don't turn out to play well, a lot of pressure begins to be put on that organization or that franchise. Yeah. In three straight years now, CJ, with with Toronto losing to Cleveland in the playoffs and I just if I'm a if I'm realistic about what this team is uh, to me it's they're closer to probably needing to rebuild than make one more run at this because just think about next year a health just think about the east next year uh, Indiana we talked about we talked about the Pacers a lot we talked about Philadelphia Boston who if Cleveland has LeBron back I mean who are they going to beat? Who are they better than? Because the regular season, winning in the regular season is different. And having all that depth doesn't have the same importance once you get to the playoffs when rotations shrink <laughs> and the best players play all the heavy minutes. Yeah, uh, I think you're right. When, when I use the term rebuild, I don't know what that means. I think some things need to happen internally. Right. They need to figure out some things um, from a rotation standpoint, from a player standpoint, from if they do want to potentially do trades. But I don't think drastic changes need to be made at all. So that's what I – I don't agree with the rebuild part. Okay. But, I, but I think some changes need to be made because that's the, real, that's the, the, the reality of it well, is that you were a 59-win team and you were swept. We were a 49-team and we were swept. So we have to figure out yeah. how to get better internally. We have to figure out the best way to continue to improve and move forward and to perform better in the next year than we did in the previous year. And I think a lot of teams – Go through that, but not to change topics, but the poll is in for the Hold on, one more thing, CJ. One, one more thing. Is DeMar DeRozan, those struggles in this series, is that just kind of random, or is there more to that? Like, is is that just unlucky? Is that LeBron? Can you just give me a, a quick take on why he struggled the way he did? I don't know, man. It's it's interesting because DeMar's versatility and skill set is – is off right. the charts. He has footwork. He has mid-range. His three-pointer has continued to develop, and obviously he's a very good finisher in the paint. But I don't know what happened. I think I think getting benched in, in game uh, in game three really three yeah that really messed with him a little bit. It would have messed with me too. You know, having to having to watch your team play, feeling like you could help them uh, win the game, and coming up short. You know, that would mess with me as an all-star, as a player who's you know I think he's the highest-paid player on the team. 
uh, going through something like that is very challenging. But I don't doubt his will. I don't doubt his his mental capacity to be able to overcome things and withstand struggles and obstacles. Because as an athlete, we go through tough times, not just on the court, but in life. And I think him being from Compton, he's built for it tough. Like he's he ain't soft. Ain't nothing sweet about him. So he'll be able to overcome these obstacles. And I think that you'll see a different Demar in the upcoming years and in the playoffs in the future. But I don't know what happened in this series. Uh, I watched the games closely. I think he got good looks. He attacked the basket. He got to the free throw line a little bit. But I don't know if it was the the defensive schemes, you know, them figuring out certain ways to guard him in the pick and roll, or if it just wasn't, it just wasn't a, it was an unlucky few games. But I think Kyle Lowry played well. He was aggressive. I think he should have taken more than 12 shots a game. That's what I didn't like. I thought he should have been a little bit more aggressive. He was aggressive down the stretch and in games three and four. But I think games one and two, he should have been extremely aggressive and asserting himself in these games and kind of, you know, making an impact uh, a little bit more so than he did early on. Yeah, I'll just close by saying that DeRozan, uh, the first two games, took nine threes, did not make a one of them. And then it seemed like he lost confidence in that perimeter shot. And, and then in the next two games... He didn't take any, and and he made more threes this year than he had in his whole career, and I just think um, that was really interesting to me to see him. I, I'm not going to say he shrunk in the moment, but to see him go back to revert back to what he's most comfortable doing, and I think to, to your point about getting benched, that's never easy, especially when you're an all-NBA caliber guy. Yeah, uh, he, he posed some great points, but turning the page a little bit, the, uh, the poll is in for LeBron. The, the question was, will LeBron score over 200 points next series? 2,800 votes. 63% of the folks out there said yes. 37% said no. A lot of the comments are funny. I have to read them because they make me laugh. 50 points <laughs> a got? game. What do we got? 50 points a game. Doubt it. No, because he won't need near that many to, to win in four games. And then we have the other ones. I'm not sure at all. It, it depends on the arthritis considering his age. <laughs> Oh, come on. You know what? How can anybody talk about his age? He's not even that old, I guess, in NBA standards, considering he's been around so long. Yeah, we're talking about one of the most uh, efficient. Well-conditioned people well in the conditioned world. Well-conditioned people in the world. People talking about authorized. I think it was a joke. And then somebody said, it doesn't matter. Who cares? The only thing that matters is if he wins or loses the series. I think it will take more than four games for them to beat Boston because of uh, two things. Boston has a very, very deep team. They have a lot of players who are capable of stepping up, and they don't lose close games. They figure out ways to win close games, and a lot of that is because of their coaching, their execution, how they get easy baskets out of timeouts. You look at down the stretch of games, Brad Stevens never panics. He seems to have a play call for every situation. Uh, there was there was a few clips I actually sent to one of my homies to where uh, Brad Stevens He's seen a matchup he liked as a guy was about to go one on one. He walks up, he walks up close to the close to the actual floor, yells, yells to Al Horford, get the switch, get the switch, look who's look who's guarding you. And then Terry Rozier dribbles over, gets the screen, gets the switch, they go into the post, and it's easy layup. So it's the little things like that to where I talked about it with Coach Vanderpool DV all the time. There's sight versus vision. Sight is actually seeing. We walk in the court, I see things. I see Dame in the corner, I might see. Uh, chief to my right. Vision is understanding that if I drive towards Dame's man, his man's not going to help. So that's vision, understanding what's going to happen 
if you make a movement, if you make an action, if you make a read. And I think Brad Stevens has great vision. LeBron has great vision. And it's going to be a, a heck of a battle. Somebody somebody said it's, it's LeBron versus Brad Stevens, <laughs> which I thought <laughs> well, was, I mean, was really funny. What I would say to that is that, like, if you're starting a franchise right now, obviously there's a lot of players you want. But at some point, Brad Stevens, you're going to take over like a good player, right? Like that's how good this guy is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's only a matter of time before before LeBron and Brad are looking at each other, laughing, joking around, and, and kind of reading each other, trying right. to figure out the play call and trying to figure out the situation. And it's a chess match. I think Ty Lue's done a great job of executing in the playoffs. You know, figuring out ways to to implement Trishan Thompson, figuring out ways to free up Kevin Love and to get him going. And I think. That's one of the differences in looking at a lot of these teams is the confidence, not only in yourself, but the players around you have to believe in you and empower you. And I think the Cavs force-fed Kevin Love, got him going, and look how that series turned out. See, that's that to me is the, is the guy in this series that is most important for LeBron because if, if Love can pull Saric and Embiid away from the hoop, then as Horford has done so much, then all of a sudden – this court, this half-court offense for Cleveland op- opens up. And what's been most interesting to me, forget Ben Simmons' his struggles for a minute, you know, just put that aside. But Philly has allowed 110 points per possessions against the Celtics. They had the third-best clip in the NBA during the season at 102. So you can just get a sense of how well Boston is executing. We talk a lot about the out-of-timeouts, where Stevens is a magician, but – just Boston's half-court offense, what they've done to a Philadelphia team that had won 16 in a row and then rolled past Miami and all of a sudden looks completely outmatched. I, I, to me, that's been the most interesting part of this, uh, aside from Ben Simmons. And that's how I think Boston can beat Cleveland. Uh, can they make them uncomfortable on that side of the floor? And can, can they limit Kevin Love from the perimeter? Yeah, I agree. I think Love is huge. I also think J.R. Smith is a sleeper in this series and their ability to contain Rozier. I think George Hill is going to be a big factor in this series on both sides of the ball because he can defend. And you've seen, you know, in, in previous games when he's aggressive and asserts himself, uh, his impact is truly, truly felt. So I'm really looking forward to those potential series, those potential matchups. Uh, uh, obviously, I'd, I'd like to be out there. I prefer to be out there, but um, this is a humbling experience that you must go through as an athlete and as a person. Things don't always turn out the way you want. And we're going to have a segment to where I give people a quote from J. Cole, from one of J. Cole's albums, one of his songs. And I like this idea a lot because J. Cole is my favorite rapper, so why not? And he also has a tour coming up soon for those of you that are interested in attending. It's out now. But without further ado, my quote is from Friday Night Lights Premeditated Murder Track. Keep grinding, boy, your life can change in one year. And even when it's dark out, the sun is shining somewhere. I think it's important people realize that, not just boys, but girls as well. And people of people from all over the world. Keep working hard, keep grinding, understand that your life can change in one year. You're that close. And even when things aren't going well, when it's dark out, when you feel like you've hit your lowest of lows, understand that the sun is shining somewhere and it's possible to overcome that. We have the wine segment. Before we sign out, I stopped by Jordan's house the other day, and we had some <laughs> wine, and uh, it was a great time. I ended up ruining the ottoman, which I still need to know about if it was fixed or not. I have the check. I have no, the it was money not ready. fixed. It was not fixed. I think the damage you did was just too much, man. 
Okay, so I will just be for the for everybody that doesn't know, just a quick little in, in, insight here into my my hoops night with CJ. Comes over, you know, start drinking some great wine, which we'll dive into in a second. He tells me at like ten o'clock he wants pasta, and he orders pasta, great pasta, everything's great. Brings it up, we start eating, and all of a sudden there's a huge, massive grease stain on our brand new ottoman. And CJ and I have no idea how to clean it. Wifey's not there. I have no idea what to do. And uh, a week later, it's still there. But yeah. but to his credit, CJ has said he will pay for it, whatever whatever we need. And, and I do appreciate that. And I don't, I'm not sure if I'm going to take him up on it. Yeah, I'm definitely going to. I'm telling you, I'm going to leave the money there. I just, I, uh, I've been looking. Wifey's been looking at restoration hardware. We, we, we found the ottoman, so now it's only a matter of time before we <laughs> okay. replace it, and I'll get you a new ottoman for me to spill wine on next time. But we have to talk about the wine, and then we're off and running. What type of wine were we drinking? I know it was. A it Pinot. was, uh, yeah, it was a Pinot Rivers Marie Sonoma Coast, and it was great, right? It was, it was. Yeah, it I was would good. say. Really, a, a little more fruit forward, perhaps, than uh, than your typical Oregon Pinot, and uh, that's about all I know. I, 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 it was it was a nice wine, CJ. It was it had a it had a nice smell. I mean, come on, you're, you're the real wine guy. You're like the master some. Yeah, it was great. I think it was medium body. It had a great taste to it. Uh, went really well with the pasta. Went really well uh, with the game. Obviously, we had some before we ate and some after we end up eating. For the record. Uh, Jordan Jordan ate as well. He was eating turkey and meatballs uh, throughout the throughout the entire throughout the entire game. <laughs> if I if I do yeah, say I was. so, he had small portions though, so he's following his diet correctly. But it was great. It was great wine, man. And uh, I look forward to coming over again. I will make sure I have money in hand for the ottoman. So don't you worry about that. Tell wifey I got it. It's good. It's on me. And uh, I appreciate it, buddy. No problem. For all the listeners out there, we appreciate you guys. We'll be back next week. We'll probably have a guest on next week uh, going through the guest list to try to figure out if I want to do an athlete or an entertainer. I'm still up in Bristol um, Tuesday and Wednesday. Check me out. I'll be on Golik and Wingo, 9 a.m. I'll be on SportsCenter at 9.30. First take, 11.30, outside the lines at who knows what time. And then I will be closing out SportsCenter at noon before heading back to NYC. So check me out. You can follow the show at Pull Up Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Insta. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, like, send your suggestions to me. You can follow Jordan at Schultz underscore report. And where do we find Mr. McCollum? You can find me at CJ McCollum on Twitter, at 3J McCollum on Instagram, at CJM313 on Snapchat. And please don't forget to pull up. Pull up.